my friends. We are back at it again with another episode of the Everyday Missionary Podcast. My name is Matt Boswell, the host of this podcast, and this is episode 198. And on top of that, I'm still fighting with allergies. So I've got my trusty Yeti cup here with coffee in it in case I need it. Uh, and I might need it today. We'll find out. But but before we get underway, um, because you've read the title. I, I don't even know I'm going to quite title it yet. I'll know the title by the time this is over. But you'll read the title and be like, that is a provocative title. Uh, and so before I get into said subject, I want to go ahead and give kind of a reminder of what this podcast attempts to do. And then we'll kind of list into the topic at hand for the day. Um, My heart, above all else, is not to be able to give you all of the applicational ways to go do everything I talk about in this podcast, right? In fact, if anything, because it's the everyday missionary, the heart behind it is to try to figure out how can we put on the glasses of scripture and look at the world through those glasses of scripture. And particular to that, because this is the everyday missionary and not the everyday theologian, what I'm looking at there is what does it mean to be a missionary um, in our context in such a way that what we're bringing to the world is who Jesus is, what the gospel entails, what grace really looks like, what the greatest commandment is is experienced as in a real life context. And so it's for us to look at the topics of life, even the messy topics, with that vision that says, how can I bring Jesus to this topic? Whatever the topic is, like, I guess that's probably at the core of what I'm wanting us to do. So sometimes I deal with things from like the 30,000 foot level and I go, okay, let's talk about whatever it is. And we're going to talk about guns. Or we're going to talk about race. or we're going to talk about, you know, whatever it is. And, and then I'm, I'm trying to say, just think as a missionary, as you engage that topic, I don't then say, here's how you go apply it. And part of the reason for that is because if you look at the religious establishment, uh, that Jesus was facing in the first century, what they had done back kind of about 150 years earlier with the Maccabean revolt and the creation of the Pharisees and everything else is they said, hey, we need to really make sure we take the Old Testament law seriously, so seriously, we need to protect it. So they had the Torah, which is the law, and then they built around that a bunch of applications called the Mishnah, 3,000 plus applications. But in time, all the applications became just as important as the law itself. And pretty soon you had people saying, hey, you know, you were breaking the Sabbath because you grabbed grain, you know, or you're breaking the Sabbath because you spilled water. Um, and, and so the applications became part and parcel to scripture itself. And that was the giant breakdown. And that was really what then brought so much um, kind of decay to religion in Jesus's day is he's like, man, you've, you've missed the real essence of the law. And in that they'd miss a dependence on God. They just thought I can just go do the applications and I'm good. So, so often in this, in this podcast, what I'm trying to do is just kind of go like, Hey, I want us to think with different principles And then you figure out how you apply that based on your personality, how the spirit leads you and those kinds of things, right? But but for us to chiefly be thinking in terms of my job is the greatest commandment. My job is to communicate grace. And part of that communication isn't just talking about grace, but displaying grace, giving people a tangible experience of the grace of God when they interact with our lives, our words, our posts, our decisions, our dispositions, our attitudes in town, whatever it is, right? Like, like they would come and contact with that, that they would see something in us and they go, that's really upside down and backwards. That looks like something I've heard about before in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like those kinds of things or the fruit of the spirit, right? These really important things that they would go, wow, that's a definition of love in action that's unanticipated, unexpected, and not like the love I see around me. Like 
Those are all the things that I hope we do as Christians. And and in that, we're doing that not simply because it's right, but I also think it keeps us from being worldly. And I think it's very easy to be worldly as a Christian, and I think it's easy to be worldly in the name of Christ. So we start to use the same tools that the world uses. We use the same edgy, barbed commentary that the world uses. We feel like we need to have a zinger to get the other side uh, or we need to take a position that's sort of disembodied from thinking about the souls of people behind the position we take or the people who are affected by the position that we take, maybe in a negative way, where now they may feel less, they may be seen as less because we openly take certain positions on certain topics. Like All of that is probably the concern that I have, that as we navigate life, that our objective as faithful followers of Jesus, not faithful followers simply of religion— but faithful followers of Jesus, we would be those people that would be willing to do uncomfortable things and go to uncomfortable places and hang out with maybe people for us that are uncomfortable people. Because if there's anything you see throughout the Gospels, that was Jesus. And when he was with those people, they felt loved. They felt invested into. And that does not mean that Jesus was, you know, not, you know, looking at some of these people saying, man, I have a different plan for your life. That that sin is hurting your life dramatically. That decision is going to bring great pain to your life. You know, th- this idea that like, if you love somebody, it excuses their activity. Or if you love them too much, they'll think then you're giving them a license. Well, Jesus loved recklessly and radically messy people And that wasn't him then giving the thumbs up to whatever they were doing. No, he was like, no, but I'm in it with you. I'm here to come alongside you and I'm going to love you to a different place. I'm going to make this sense of investment to where you see you have a better identity in me. You have a better future in me. You have a better hope in me. And trust me, all those people that Jesus touched that started to follow him, they stay messy, a lot of them. Because if we're honest, you and I, we sort of stay messy too. Our messes may change. We may have different struggles, different insecurities, different fears, uh, different uh, vices, if you will, right? So like this idea that, you know, any of us have arrived in any sense of it after coming to Christ is sort of silly. We know it's not true. We know that it's only by the grace of God that we stand. We know it's only because of the righteousness of Christ bestowed on us because of his cross that we have any sense of righteousness. It's only his spirit in us that will move us to change or transformation or conviction or, uh, you know, even the, the sense of saying, you know what, I want to overcome whatever the challenge is in my life. And so... That is the stuff that I think we need to keep most before us as we then engage with the world uh, and, and engage with the individuals that inhabit our world, right? All of that's important to me. So I know that's like a lengthy preamble, but when you're top, talking about a topic like transgenderism, then um, I think all of that really matters to the topic. Now, I've wanted to talk about this for a while, and I, I want to be clear, just in case you, up to this point you're listening, you're like, all right, Matt, get onto it. What's your position? You know, well, you're not going to get that because that's not really what this topic is for me today. I'm not trying to do what so many feel they need to do, which is take a, a position on a thing, um, because my position's real simple. Uh, I, my position's Jesus. My position's the kingdom, my position's grace, my position's the gospel, right? Like, that's my position. My position is the Holy Spirit is what changes people outside force, pressure, guilt, shame. doesn't change people. You can control people doing that, but it doesn't change people. So my position's real simple. 
right? God's got to do stuff. That's my position. And in that, my job is simply to be like Jesus to all the people I meet. That's my position. So, but I'm going to tell you what kind of started this for me. Uh, because I wanted to talk about it for a while. I've been kicking it around. And then a couple of weeks ago, I saw a tweet from Franklin Graham, and he was praising one of the state governors for putting a ban on transgender athletes. So if uh, if you were a male that transitioned to a female, uh, that you couldn't compete in female th- athletics because there was an unfair athletic advantage in that context. Now, I think that's a, actually a really important conversation to have. I know Maybe I should say this from the get-go. I think both sides, really strong sides of this discussion, I'm not going to please either one of you today, so at least I can get that out of the way, right? Both sides are going to be frustrated probably on that front, right? Uh, I think that is a worthy discussion to be had, right? It's important to, to discuss muscle mass and bone density and all those kinds of things as it relates to athletics, right? So totally cool. But when Franklin Graham did this, I go, okay, here's a religious figure praising a thing under the topic of transgender athletics. And there was this part of me that I was like, why as Christians should we care at all about the athletics side of this? And I'm not saying I don't like athletics. I do. You know, I play sports. I enjoy sports, all of that kind of stuff. I understand the complexities of the topic, everything else. Um, But I thought what we as followers of Jesus should care most about is not athletics in bold and caps, what we should care about is the transgendered person, right? That maybe wants to be an athlete or doesn't want to be an athlete. Maybe they're a mathlete. Maybe they're, you know, just, you know, somebody that's trying to figure out their way. You know, I don't know what it is, right? But but I go back to this idea that here's what's true of a transgendered person. They bear the image of God. And here's what's true of a transgendered person. They are worthy of the great commandment where we love our neighbor as ourself, that we would exercise the golden rule and we would do unto them as they, we would hope they would do unto us. And so my concern is when we have topics like this, the topics are, again, sort of disembodied from the individuals. And so we go, all right, what's the position on the topic? And we have these public discussions on positions and we forget the 700,000 to a million, roughly, human beings in our country that this is their life. This is the challenge they face. This is the burden that they're bearing. And I, I think we don't see it that way sometimes as Christians. I think we just go, we need to make sure we maintain the creation order and design. And we need to take a stand against this rising tide of transgenderism. And therefore, we start to think like the world. We kind of think like culture wars again. And we go, we need to stand against this, again, insidious problem that's destroying our youth and mangling bodies and all this stuff. And, and again, there are other people having those discussions, that's not my discussion. My discussion is our mission is to come alongside and love human beings that bear the image of God. And we want to see all people reconnected to their maker. And from that, he can give them, as I said earlier, a newer, better, healthier identity, a strength in him that is unsurpassed, something that helps just stabilize and encourage and strengthen the inner core of a person. Only God can do those kinds of things. Again, the external pressures don't. And when there's these public discussions where it sounds like there's judgment or shame or distaste, there are hundreds of thousands of people, literally millions of people that hear all of that. And they're in the middle of that discussion, tangibly, emotionally, and personally. And, and I think that's what gets forgotten. 
See, I was thinking about this because uh, we have some friends that have uh, a transgendered uh, child, now an adult, and they were in the church when they were going through this challenge, and the church, it was just black and white. Your daughter's a daughter, your daughter's not a son, and you need to figure out how to make sure your daughter doesn't try to become a son. You know, like that was the pressure applied on them. And and I remember when I heard the story, I, my heart just broke because I think it's really easy when it's not your kid and not the problem you're facing to have the perfect pat answer. Well, just don't let them, just make them stop. Just make them do it differently, right? It's amazing when you look at the data, there is a really high suicide rate among transgendered people. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, again, you're talking about the very essence of their identity and they're trying to figure out what that identity is. And there's going to be a lot of confusion and there's going to be a lot of trepidation and there's going to be a lot of potential shame involved in that. And, And from that, parents are dealing with basically a suicidal kid a lot of times. And then they're being told, well, just tell them no, you know? And I think as a parent, you wish it was that easy. You wish it was so simple, right? I I think about this on other topics too, like parents that are dealing with kids that have eating disorders or kids that are cutting um, or kids that are burning themselves in some way. And, And the parents whose kids seem to have it kind of together are just like, I wouldn't let my kid do that. Like, well... That's great. You know what I mean? But these parents are trying to figure it out and they're trying to keep their kid alive and they're trying to figure out how can I come alongside them in their mental anguish and help their mental health and get them to a state of healthiness and try to just keep them alive till they can get old enough to maybe settle down with all of the things that go on in an adolescent person. And and I think that's the thing I want to remind us of, right? The literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that are listening to our intramural debates or our ethical discussions on things is there are real families and real kids facing real challenges every single day. See, I, I come at this certainly from the angle of having a gay son and finding out at roughly around 12 years of age. Can I tell you, I, I can't even count the amount of times I was panicked opening his bedroom door when he had slept in in the morning because I didn't know if I was going to find him dead. Because... There's a constant push-pull that's going on in those environments for those families, right? Like no, nobody thinks when they're going to have a child, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to have a little girl and that little girl might want to become a little boy. They, they, you don't think that. And even for the most liberal of individuals who would have almost zero kind of moral trepidation about transgenderism, it's still hard heartbreaking, confusing, bewildering. Like you have to understand what these families go through, right? They're honestly, they are desperate sometimes just to keep their kid from taking their own life. And so this is where, again, as the church, as Christians, one of the greatest things we can do is figure out ways to love pray for, come alongside, be an aid to, bear up burdens, be a resource for. Because when I look again at the ministry of Jesus, I don't see a guy that was green lighting everything. I just see a guy that was loving everybody, right? And and that seems to be of great value in my mind, right? Instead of getting in the weeds of all of the kind of ethical debates today, especially with so much division, there's not a topic we're not divided over anymore, seemingly as a culture. And and so this is where I think we can be counter-cultural, right? Like we're trying to get into the divides and the cracks of the divides and bring something different, 
right? We're trying to bring those radical definitions of love that we see like in 1 Corinthians 13. I know it always gets thrown into the wedding context or whatever else, but that is a radical definition. Imagine if we were bringing that kind of love into the world of the transgender family. We've had people call our church even and say, hey, we want to maybe check out your church. We have a seven-year-old who's transgender and and would we be welcomed? And it's interesting because I've had that discussion with some people and their first thing is, well, what parents would let their six-year-old consider themselves transgender? And And I get that. I think it's easy when you're not the parent. I probably have that question too. I'd be like, let's put pause on that for a while. Let's, let's let let's let you grow some. You know, I think there's a lot of wisdom and let's not define anything until you're much older. Like I get all of that. But our first thing should be, wow, what an opportunity. We could help come alongside this family and love them because I guarantee you that family is not having an easy road to, to go down in that in, in that kind of context and with that kind of challenge. So then even when we get the call, it's like, well, do we or don't we? What do we tell them? We would love to have you. We're going to love on you. Or do we say, well, you know, I know your your son thinks she is a she, but we're not going to identify she is she in our Sunday school classrooms. We're going to still call him Timmy. You know, like, what do you do with that? So this is where it gets real down to the to the real granular level of people's lives. Like, how do we respond to those things? How do How do we take the position and what's the most important position to take? I think the most important position to take again is being an everyday missionary. It's coming alongside and loving people in painful, hard spaces. And so does this satisfy everybody in this podcast today? No, it's going to be like a 20, 25 minute podcast. I'm not even trying to get into the innards of this because what I'm trying to do is again, just cause us to think a little differently. I'm not asking everybody to lose their convictions But I'm also asking everybody to not lose their minds over this stuff and to go, wait, yeah, what is the most central thing? People matter to God so much so that he sent his son. People matter to Jesus so much he took their sin on himself, right? That's how much they matter. And then Jesus gave us the marching orders that says, now you go and you share me. You live like me. You can proclaim me. You come alongside the very same types of lives I did and you let them know they have value and worth and dignity. That was the power of his ministry. That was the power. Now, I know there's some that say, yeah, but don't forget the gospel, Matt. I'm like, right. Don't forget the gospel. We want to bring the gospel to bear on that, which is... You can't change yourself. Only God can change you. That is absolutely true. That is the essence of the gospel. That no matter how moral, good, rule-keeping you are, you're still just as broken as everybody else. And only the effective grace of God bestowed on you because of what Jesus did for you can change anything. And even after you're saved, you're still a broken mess. Even after you're saved, you're still a self-righteous hypocrite. Even after you're saved, you're going to fall down, make mistakes, blow it big time, which is why we should be the ones that most appreciate grace and we see the image of God in other people and we extend a mercy that maybe is not seen by the world. See, I think this is a prime time for Christians, right? Because on, on both sides of the political spectrum, what you don't see is a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, a lot of love, a lot of forgiveness. I've talked about the woke side that is almost forgiveless, right? It just bow a knee and you're forever banished and punished. And I go, man, Christianity can speak to that with a rich sense of forgiveness, right? 
But I think also to the other side of it, where we feel these needs to take these positions on kind of earthly preoccupations like athletics. I get it. Go have that debate, some people. But I go, more than anything else, the Christian should care about the person more than the sport, more than the activity. We need to make sure those persons know that the transgender community knows, hey, above all else, we care for you. We think of you. We notice you. We see you. We value you. We welcome you because that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way of Jesus. That is the essence of what the cross is all about. Now, is that comfortable? No way. It's not comfortable at all. Trust me. It's just not. But there are moms and dads and kids that need that. There are people in confusion, in agony, in suicidal temptations, and they need that from us. And so we need to be extra cautious and extra concerned, extra aware of just the responsibility that we have. And as I said earlier, I'm not asking us as Christians to chuck our convictions. I'm asking us to dig deep into our deepest convictions. What makes Christianity unique from every other system in the world? The only thing it is, is grace. It's grace, right? Every other system's works, ours is grace, right? Ours has a God who came, who lived, who died, who rose, and from that rescues us in his grace. And that is to be the thing we're ambassadors of, right? And so we need to live the truth in our life and we're to share the grace of God into the lives of others. We're to deposit that into the lives of others. And so this is just a primer. I think I'll come back to this topic on and off at different times um, just because I, I I more and more see the uniqueness. I think even now with Caitlyn Jenner wanting to run for governor uh, in California, but running as a kind of a Republican conservative type, you know, and it's like so interesting because I, I saw that interview on Sean Hannity even, and I thought, here's a guy that typically would be taking the very anti-transgender kind of position, but now because it's a Republican person running for governor against a person that he really doesn't like, suddenly there's all this respect given to a transgender person. And I thought, this is really interesting. It's be interesting times, I think, for people as we continue to move forward. Uh, my concern is less probably on that, and it was just more on going, all right, let's make sure that when we post articles or statements or say things or take positions or whatever else, that we have a sensitivity that there are many people who this is their life and they need to know we care for them and we need to let them know that God values them, right? Because again, it's what I said earlier. It's why Jesus came. And so it's keeping the big idea, the big idea for us, right? We're not trying to stem the tide or hold back whatever we consider to be the moral decay of society. As evangelical Christians, that's really not our job, right? Because here's the thing, outside of the grace of God and the gospel, you can't hold back anything. You just can't, right? It's just going to be a constant kind of moving the the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? It's just like, you know, external force doesn't change internal hearts. It just never has, never will. In fact, if anything, it can harden them. But we are meant to be ambassadors of something different, right? The only message that can change true lives and give identity in Christ. And we make that our focus. When we say that is our claim to fame right there, then we will be functioning as really excellent, helpful, loving, and tender everyday missionaries.